Welcome to Bible study this morning. Uh, we have with us Sven Schumacher, who is the Executive Director of Lutheran Child and Family Services. He just celebrated his 25th year there, so uh, many blessings upon that ministry. And uh, let us just begin with prayer, and then we'll hand things over to Sven for his uh, presentation. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your many blessings you give in this creation uh, that sustain those in need. We especially give thanks for Lutheran and Child Family Services to, for the work they do in Indianapolis and the surrounding areas, uh, helping those through various difficulties in their life. Uh, we also give thanks for Schwinn and his many years of, of service to them. We ask that you would continue to bless the work they do, bless him as he uh, engages the community around us. And uh, we give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Sven, it's Good all morning. you. Good morning. Good morning, Good morning Pastor. Good, Good morning. to have you with us. And I'm, I'm glad. Of course, it's uh, Corona time, and uh, <laughs> there's a few here, and so I'm glad that you're here, and especially I'm glad that you're out uh, watching from home, from, from safety. And uh, uh, today's uh, program was that I wanted to give you a little update on what's going on at the agency, what's going on with the, cli the clients, how do we work, have worked in the last uh, many months through the coronavirus time. And then I thought I'd give you a little bit of an update on uh, Christmas uh, at uh, the Luther family. Uh, just a few years ago, we celebrated the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. I have uh, spoken uh, on several occasions to your congregation and uh, have always enjoyed this. Of course, I have to tell you, I'm, I'm missing Wayne Kramer, who has been probably one of the biggest fans of Germany that I have ever met. And he uh, has always been so interested in what I had to tell about uh, Germany, my uh, former home country. So uh, anyway, but uh, it's, it's good to be with you. And it was uh, marvelous to worship with you this morning. And Pastor, thank you for your, uh, for your sermon. It's always good to be prepared. And um, even in, uh, with computers, you know, it's, oh, there seemed to be always some little thing, but I, uh, we got it all worked out, and so I'm glad that you are with us this morning. So what's, what's happening at Lutheran Child and Family Services? In the last years, uh, in, in a wonderful way, we have grown much closer together, our ministry and your ministry here at Advent. And uh, we have had many visits, volunteers uh, from your congregation over at Sharing Place. Um, Linda Silverberg has uh, brought many loads of uh, needed things to the campus. Uh, you know, I'm always amazed how much she can put into, especially the little vehicle she drove the last time. It was uh, just amazing. I thought, don't know how many trips we took out from there. And uh, I uh, was especially pleased this morning with your prayer, you know, to, to just keep the clients and the, the staff and everybody in the ministry in your prayers. That's one of the really important things we want our churches to do, is that power of prayer that we need all. And then many of the other things that people maybe think, oh, this is what he wants to talk about, money, and this and that. No, all of these things will fall into place in a, in a wonderful way when we, when we think about each other in prayer and remember each other in prayer. So 
Let me tell you what, what happened. Unlike uh, uh, maybe some other places, uh, we were immediately pretty hard hit in March of this year. For some of it, maybe feels already much longer. Feels like we have been in this kind of mode forever. But uh, I think uh, it is important, of course, and you know, that we have children that live there. And we were very quickly reminded that probably if we will have a, an issue with the virus on campus, it will be probably brought in from the outside because some of our young people were not out. And so, and of course, uh, sadly that happened. The good news was that um, most of our young people at, uh, at Lutherwood, we have about 70 young people in the different programs, were not affected. But we had a number of positive cases. We had uh, a number of uh, kids that uh, caught the virus. Uh, what was more of a challenge was that some of our staff, 24-hour staff that takes care of the young people all the time, uh, uh, had some, actually some real illness in some of them. Now, the good news was that in our collaboration with Community Hospital, the, uh, the folks at the hospital had immediately brought resources to bear uh, in case of... Uh, uh, you know, spread, and it was uh, the, the, the mask. I mean, I think some of you know that there was a time that we didn't even know where to get masks from. And the hospital had, the community hospital had better access to it. I remember uh, uh, getting several hundred gallons of, uh, of uh, solutions to, to uh, disinfective solutions. Uh, I mean, they were nowhere to be found. And um, so we were very quickly prepared. The other interesting thing was that the co community hospital was able to reallocate some of our, their nurses that were in the school-based programs. A community hospital has a very large program of uh, social workers and nurses working in public schools. And when these public schools closed, the nurses came over to our place. And, they created a lot of a safety net and, uh, and a feel for that we were actually doing something about a virus that nobody could see. So uh, all, all through, through this, uh, this whole season of COVID, we have, uh, we have a pretty strict regimen in terms of taking temperature, uh, washing hands, and all of the kind of things that I think all of us know now. And I would have to say, that helped us all through the summer. Now, in the last few weeks, we have seen an uptick again uh, in terms of uh, some kids uh, having to go into quarantine, and we had to stop what is very, very difficult for us, stop visits from outside, and that's especially the parents. So we have to use some of this technology that you probably heard about, uh, telemedicine, to set that up, and uh, again, uh, the hospital was already equipped to do that, to do some of the therapy, some of the visits through that. But what will be a very sad situation uh, will be uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas. Because I think all of us, uh, whenever I talk to, to colleagues and friends, many of us still don't have a real plan what are we gonna do on Thanksgiving, even though it's next week. But, uh, and, you know, uh, we want, want to stay and have to stay safe. Normally on Thanksgiving, 
for the young people that stay at Lutherwood, we have, uh, we, we, we have a special feast and a, a number of volunteers come in and help and make this day as, as good as possible for those young people that don't have a family that they can go to. But this year, it, uh, it will be all, all of our staff will do this. We cannot bring anybody, anybody in. And so uh, this time from next week to Christmas is always uh, in, an, in a child caring or in an orphan-like uh, um, uh, placement, always very, very difficult. But there has been a lot of wonderful, um, wonderful activity already going on. I know you have the Christmas tree a program going on here, so important. It is just important for the staff and the kids at, at Lutherwood to know that there are people out there that they might not know at all, but that there are people out there that pray and think about them in these difficult times. So thank you, very special thank you for, for that. And I have been uh, really, uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, really very, very happy how this relationship between Advent and Lutheran Child and Family Services has developed in the last few years. So let me tell you a little bit about some other programs that are going on. And uh, Sharing Place. Of course, some of you um, at um, Advent have been involved with Sharing Place, have been volunteering out there, and of course we all read about uh, hunger and food insecurity and the need of people in these difficult times that are even kind of... Uh, um, amplified uh, during this crisis, that food is still a very, very important issue. So what happened at Sharing Place in regards to how were we able to, to make it through this, uh, through this corona crisis? So what happened was, of course, we had to make a tough decision. Actually, our volunteers, we have about a 100 volunteers at Sharing Place, and most of them, of course, and not surprising, we're falling into the category of high risk. High risk. Because most of our volunteers are in their 70s. Many of them are actually in their 80s. And so we prayerfully ask them to, to stay home. And uh, actually, uh, a few wanted to come, and, uh, but... In the beginning, as you know, we were not really fully prepared and we didn't really know exactly what actually was going on with this virus. We just knew that it was there. So we had to, we had to say we need sharing place to be open. And so what we did is we had a call in to the community to find new volunteers that would jump in and uh, volunteers that are maybe... Uh, not at this high-risk group. And it, it, it worked. It worked. We, 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 uh, we had uh, 10 days where we uh, had to kind of re, rework our system. We got lots of volunteers from the community in, especially uh, young people, uh, uh, people that were uh, non-essential workers that stayed home but said, hey, I'm taking some time and I'm coming out at the sharing place. We had some of the teachers and social workers from the Metropolitan School District of Lawrence Township that were you know, not in school either. We had additional staff from Community Hospital uh, that were uh, you know, non-essential staff that were coming out and 
it was just a marvelous situation. But one of one, the other important thing we had to do is, um, I think anybody who has been out there knows that we have a very large uh, place, similar to of size of your room here, that we are here this morning, the fellowship hall. And we have kind of like a grocery store type situation set up. So if a client comes in, one of our volunteers, so to speak, takes them under their wings and they shop together. They shop together and the, the, the clients take as many items they can based on family size. And it's what we call client choice. And that means the clients can choose what foods they have. And then uh, our uh, wonderful volunteers in a, in a kind of a mindful and thoughtful way direct the clients to, to some of maybe the fresher items, or maybe some of the items that we have because some of our clients uh, tend to want to go towards the Chef Beaujardie uh, ready-made cans, what is understandable because they have a lot of things on their mind, there may be not as much time, but we have these wonderful fresh things too, and so we want to make sure that, that people get and, and understand the whole array of wonderful things we have. And in that kind of walking through and, 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 and being in fellowship there, wonderful relationships start, you know? And, and I have to tell you, many of our, most of our volunteers actually, when they talk to us and they say, when can we come back? Because they miss exactly that interaction with the clients, with, with the people that come. That's what they miss. And they miss the people that are coming, and we get phone calls from our clients, and they say, you know, when, when is so-and-so back there? You know, and, and it's, it's a relationship. Uh, once a month, you know, our, uh, our, the folks come and meet, and it's uh, just one of the things we dearly miss. But what we had to do is we developed a so-called drive-through service. And you heard probably that Galenas and some of our other colleagues in the community have done this too. So we set up boxes with food that, uh, you know, and then clients come with their cars, sometimes a long line of vehicles, and we will, we will check them in at the car. We have even one of those little uh, devices, high-tech, doesn't work all the time, but, <laughs> you know, <laughs> we just put it in, put names in and making sure Everything is good, and, uh, and then we bring out the box of food, and then on top of the box of food, with, we have non-perishable and bread, and, and it's really a good, good load of, of food. But what's missing is that relationship, you know? People just drive by, you kind of uh, do it rather, rather quickly, but we have uh, seen a lot and lots of people, and a lot, lots and lots of food have gone through now. The good thing has been that so much outpouring to Gleaners, Midwest Food Bank, to other places have, has happened over the, over the last several months that we have not lacked food. What we have now lacking is, uh, is especially volunteers, is especially volunteers, and especially volunteers in the morning uh, uh, when we kind of set up. Uh, now we are having to go one other step further. We have to, in a way, winterize this program because being out there in the snow and sleet or just even think about a day this morning, 
that is a tough thing. And so at the same moment, we, we are very anxious to figure out how do we do client, the, the clients, and, and, and dignity of clients is an important thing too in this, in, in our thoughts of how do we best solve this, of how do we serve our clients without uh, 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 having too close of contact. And uh, we, are, we are working on this, and uh, I thought we had it maybe last week already solved, but we have, have to have some other meetings. And, uh, We'll try to figure this out. It's not totally clear yet because we have been pretty blessed with amazing weather, you know? And so it's like, I, I feel sometimes we are a little bit like these little uh, chipmunks that are out there and they should maybe gather more, but we're, we're thinking, oh, it's still fine, or maybe another week or whatever, you know? But it will take some effort to, to do this, to keep our volunteers and keep the clients safe and be able to serve, but uh, we, will, we will have to, have to figure this out because um, our partners, the, uh, the MSD of Lawrence Township is of course concerned too of bringing more people into their facility. And uh, so that's of course right now uh, the, the challenge. But uh, so I, I just want you to know how much I appreciate your help and uh, folks from, from this congregation coming out there and helping with in, in many different ways. But again, uh, keep those prayers because that's very, very important in what we need is being connected in prayer with you. So uh, another amazing thing uh, happened. Uh, last week, we had an official groundbreaking on a brand new program. And uh, we, uh, we have been in and have dealt with the issue of homelessness or not having a home for, since 1883, because in some ways, an orphanage is a place for children and, and, and young people that don't have a safe home. And so uh, we, uh, we, we thought, gosh, maybe there are some other things we can do, especially with young people that what we call are kind of moving out of the child welfare system. Uh, what happens is that when a, child, a ward of the state is 18, that in general, then the time of the child welfare department being uh, available and being part of the, 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 child, the young person's life is basically over. And uh, there is an opportunity that some of our young people are using uh, to stay on until 21. But in general, it's a, it's a very short period of time, especially when I read in the newspaper that more and more young people in America are moving back home. You know, they are sometimes in their 20s or 30s, and especially with this crisis right now, too, they're moving home. And um, I, uh, we, we have a, a wonderful program called Trinity House that some of you, I think, know. It's an independent living group home. We have 10 young men that live there, and they are between 15, 16, 17, 18, theoretically up to 21. And uh, we work very hard with them on all the skills that one would normally get if you live and grow up in a family. You know, how to get a job and how to, how to uh, finish school and, and uh, all these kind of things. But these young people don't have families, 
So we, we work on, on that, called Trinity House. And a couple of years ago, we had a very sad situation. We had a, a marvelous young person who we uh, got through high school, and he graduated. And uh, you know, our staff are the ones that go to the graduation because the young people don't have family, so they get to the graduation. And we actually got him into, into college, um, relatively far away from Indianap in Indianapolis, out in southwestern uh, Indiana. And um, we stayed in contact, uh, but uh, sometime much later, we, we learned that he killed himself. And what happened was that he was trying to connect back with his family, and that didn't work out. And then, you know, college didn't really work out because if you're a former foster youth, just think about where would you go now when college is basically closed down? Or what are you doing over Thanksgiving break? Where are you going over Christmas break? All of these kind of things uh, are big, big challenges. Some of those challenges we were not always totally aware of because our focus at Lutherwood is really between 6 and 18. But we have learned over the years, and especially motivated through this tragedy, that we needed to look one step further. Uh, do you know, where, where are young people in, the, in foster youth in the child welfare system, where are they going after 18? And sporadically and over time, we have sometimes seen some of the young people come back to Lutherwood, and some of them have worked out well, and they say, do you know, I have a job and a family, and I work at UPS, or I do this, or the other, other day I went to a car parts store, and I had my Lutheran Child and Family Services shirt on, and one of the young people said, are you working at Lutherwood? And I said, yeah, I'm working at Lutherwood for a long time. And he said, do you know, I was there in the 1970s, do you know? And he just wanted, to, wanted me to know that that's, that was a good experience, and that helped him to be the person, and he was employed and married. But for some of the young people, that's not how it works out. So we learned about an opportunity uh, to uh, maybe have some housing opportunities for the group 18 to 21. Making a long story short, uh, we broke ground on a 30 apartment unit focusing on young people that are homeless, and especially those that have been former foster youth. And uh, it's uh, financed through uh, federal tax credits and this and that. It's a $9.2 million project. It's, it's, it's all taken care of. The only thing that we need to, we need to take care is of is the programming of these young people, you know, because we need to uh, engage with them and, and, and work with them and so this will be the new exciting project. The construction is underway. The mayor was there, a number of people all in social distancing, but we were, we were able to celebrate the groundbreaking, official groundbreaking on what we call PANDO. It's not PANDA. PANDO is an interesting um, organism of trees out in Utah, and it's all connected aspen trees, and it's, it's one of the... 40 marvels of uh, the world in, in, in the United States. And uh, so we use this as a metaphor of connecting young people with each other and with the community to help them. And so they can live there. And it's not short term. They can live there for a number of years. And hopefully with our help and with themselves getting their, getting their uh, uh, affairs together and to become 
wonderful citizens. So that's another project. Is Pando. And the last one I tell you is Stopgap. Stopgap is uh, our newest program. It's just started a few weeks ago. We wanted to start it many months ago, but it was difficult to, 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 to get staff. And you might think it's kind of a paradox. You know, why are people out there without job and why are you not able to get, get folks? But it's very difficult in Corona times to onboard people, especially with all the requirements we have with federal background checks and FBI background check and all of these kind of things. It always takes longer. But uh, it started, it's a shelter, emergency shelter for young people ages 6 to 13. It's, uh, you know, these are the kids that are maybe uh, taken out of a family last night by uh, the uh, child welfare worker, maybe with police. Where are they going? And so some of them will come to what we call stopgap. It's only a program for about 20 days of just providing emergency shelter. And what an amazing idea just before Christmas, emergency shelter. You will talk about emergency shelter probably at Christmas. You know, there was an emergency shelter situation. And so that's what, where we all, when, when you think about our ministry, it's all connected in some uh, amazing way with the Christmas story of Jesus coming and shelter and, and food and all of these kind of things all come together. So that's a little update uh, on Lutheran Child and Family Services. And uh, now I wanted to tell you a little bit for the moments uh, never come to this congregation without telling you something about Germany. And of course, Germany is, uh, um, is uh, uh, of course, uh, deals with these, these issues very in a, yeah, in a tough way too, and it's just uh, very difficult. Many of the Christmas markets have been, have been uh, like the one in Carmel, have been uh, postponed for next year. I should have taken earlier this year in June a group uh, over to the, to the uh, Passion Play. Didn't happen, you know, a couple other, couple other trips to family, so we have to kind of do, do the phone and uh, but uh, try to stay connected, and it's uh, it's a difficult time to, uh, especially with the holidays. As the uh, honorary consul, I get a lot of calls from folks that say, "Oh, I want to, we want to go home for Christmas." Uh, German workers that are working for companies here, and how is this all working, and what do we have to do? And so, all these rules seem to change every single day, you know, because based on on issues. But I just wanted to tell you a little bit about. And again, it's uh, kind of uh, thinking about Wayne Kramer. Christmas at the Luther family. And uh, are, are you able to see these wonderful pictures? This is kind of uh, the idea and the ideal of uh, uh, you know, how Christmas has really, really become in the 19th century. And since that, uh, probably the, one of the most important family family opportunities to get together. And uh, oh, good. And so, uh, uh, especially in Germany, but then from there on all over the world, the, the, the quintessential idea of, of Christmas with family and Christmas tree and, and Santa Claus or the Christkind uh, has kind of started. But there were beginnings of that in Wittenberg uh, 500 years 500 years earlier. Probably not the way we think about it, but I, I want to share a few of these things. These are pictures that uh, 
you see there are kind of uh, the, the, the wonderful pictures. And I have to tell you, having grown up in a medieval walled city in southern Germany, there was no Christmas tree in the house with candles. You know, I mean, the, the opportunity to burn down the whole town, <laughs> nobody, nobody would have done this. But I think, uh, I, I actually, I always grew up, I don't know if, if any of you, but we always had candles on the Christmas tree. And uh, I think the longer the, the, the seasons, uh, the more worried we all get because the drier the Christmas tree became. <laughs> I remember my parents always had a bucket of water <laughs> next to the Christmas tree. I'm not sure if this really would have helped because I think some of you have, who have probably maybe burned your Christmas tree, the old tree after Christmas, it's, you, it's like nearly like an explosion, you know, when, when it comes. But these are the wonderful, wonderful things. So the family being together, and uh, it uh, really was an important uh, thing uh, for, for German families. And then it traveled in that way, how we know it today with the Christmas tree uh, all over the world. And so this is here kind of like a little bit the German Christmas tree. These are the candles we, I, my parents used until, uh, un, until they, they, they didn't really, they were too worried about it too. But it always gave this wonderful smell and a wonderful atmosphere. Uh, and uh, we were always watch, watching this. Um, another thing that, that was always uh, exciting for us when we were kids was uh, the, the, all the different ornaments. And I brought a few of, of them with me here. And interestingly, in the very beginning, when the ornaments started, they were not around there at Martin Luther's time, but uh, they started in the mid-19th uh, century. And uh, there were, of course, these glass ornaments. And interestingly, this one, is a, it's an antique one. It's a, it's a potato. So what, what happened was, actually, uh, very early in the Christmas trees, uh, uh, people were hanging fruit, apples, and other things. And then the Christmas ornaments were basically reflecting those. I, I have one that was probably made for the American market from Germany. Corn. I, I tell you, nobody in Germany would have put corn on there because only until recently, actually when I, when I was little, we didn't know a thing about corn. But it has now, you can buy it in all the grocery stores. But it gives you, it gives you an idea. Uh, here's, uh, here's one that's maybe more familiar uh, to, to, to Germans. This is, a, a little, this is a little pretzel. You know, of course, we know now much, learn much more about pretzels because when I came years ago to America, there were, there were basic, you couldn't buy, I never saw pretzels, but now there's a, quite a number of places you can, can buy pretzels. So these um, ornaments, interestingly, many of them are made in a small town in Thuringia, that's where Martin Luther um, uh, uh, was in Erfurt, a monk, and the Wartburg Castle is there. And there's a little town in the, in the forest where many of these ornaments uh, came from, and they were made there because they had the, the quartz, the sand to make glass, and they had a lot of wood. And so they, they started an industry there, a very, very poor area. And uh, many times these ornaments were made by people in their homes, and then they were delivering them to central points and selling them. And early on, already in the 1800s, 90s, 
most of the production actually went to the United States. Uh, so for example, Woolworths and some of the other companies uh, in, in America had, had offices there that bought from these home workers that, that made them in their, in their, little, in their, in their homes uh, and, and brought them over to, to, uh, to America. And uh, that was, of course, part of the Christmas tree situation. And uh, they are popular ever since, and I, I enjoy them. We have not broken too many of them, but it's, uh, it's always a possibility to, to, to break them, so you have to be careful. So in some other areas, those are made out of wood. And so uh, another couple of decorations that are very popular, they all, interestingly, came from areas that were behind the Iron Curtain 31 years ago, you know, from East Germany. Uh, and so some of the other areas, I really didn't know too much about these until the wall came down. But here's a fellow that I wanted to show you. These are the, the typical nutcrackers. And they come from an area in the Thuringian Forest. And so uh, kind of a neat thing to see them. They are often soldier-like types, or they are maybe these little smokers, and uh, we, we like them a lot. Uh, our son, Conrad, I think he has four or five of them, and so we kind of uh, smoke up the whole house with these little, uh, with these little uh, smokers. And you see one of them there. Christmas markets, I already mentioned to you, uh, has been, have been postponed. The most famous one is in, in Nuremberg, Germany, and it's... Uh, just normally a beautiful thing. And I have taken over the years some groups to Christmas markets, and people have really always enjoyed that. The Christmas markets come really from the Middle Ages, where people bought certain supplies for Christmas, especially spices and some of the other items that, that would be normally not available. Uh, one of the things that uh, Germans, and you can now even buy it in this country, is the Glühwein. That's kind of a prerequisite at these, uh, um, at these uh, markets. It's cold out there and people drink this Glühwein. I personally have never been really the biggest fan of it, but you know, people like it. And I think at some Christmas markets in Germany, they make more man money on the Glühwein than on all the other beautiful items that they sell there. So I, I, uh, I just wanted to show this. Now, Christmas, der Weihnachtsmann versus Christkind. If one is from northern Germany, Lutheran, the way I, I have grown up, we probably uh, uh, connected with the Weihnachtsmann as the most important figure there for the gifts. Because interestingly, before the Reformation, St. Nicholas Day, St. Nicholas was the giver of gifts. But you know, Martin Luther was not at all into saints. I'm looking over to pastor and see that I'm still on the, on the right track here. He was, so they, de, in, in the Lutheran areas, kind of de-emphasized St. Nicholas and the gift giving around there to more of the more important, of course, the birth of Christ and Weihnachtsmann. The Weihnachtsmann really is, was not around when Martin Luther was there. He's an invention of, and I think there is some kind of argument, was he invented in America by Coca-Cola, or was he invented in Germany? I'm not totally sure, 
but we certainly see many of those. But in many of the southern areas of, that were more Catholic, or kind of where ref the Reformation took some of the, left some of the Catholic areas, the Christkind, it's, um, you see it over there kind of like an angel-like figure, and that's uh, very, very important in Nuremberg. So, then Odo Fröhliche, that's one of the famous songs, and uh, of course, Weihnachten, Christmas would not be the same without the songs. And Martin Luther was a big, big proponent of music, and especially some, he, I think he composed some of the famous Christmas songs himself. And some of them we still sing. And uh, so that's, I think, one of them. Or Tannenbaum is another one. The Christmas tree, uh, another song. Es ist ein Ros entsprungen, uh, a very important one. And um, let me see the last one that I wanted to tell you, and then I, then I um, stop for today. Stille Nacht. And um, in a few weeks, on the 13th of, um, I think it's the 13th of December, we have our traditional German language Advent service. And um, there is no German-speaking preacher here, so they have many years ago drafted me into preaching under the supervision of a pastor. And so I, uh, this year I'm focusing on Stille Nacht. Uh, this is a, a beautiful song, uh, uh, came out of Austria. And of course, uh, Silent Night is a song that you, I think, all know. And it's um, really emphasizing on all the important parts of why we celebrate Christmas and Jesus right in the middle. And it's just a, a wonderful thing. So. Um, there's a story that I shared yesterday. I was at Fort Benjamin Harrison, and there were some folks doing some work there at the War Museum. And we, we said, you know, have you ever heard about this Silent Night story that in 1914, these soldiers from, from Germany and uh, England came together and were singing that at, in 1914? And so we had a good conversation about that. They knew about this. So I want to thank you for, for listening to me. Again, I want to thank this wonderful congregation to, to, to help so much in the ministry of Lutheran Child and Family Services. And it's really, in a way, it's, it's our ministry together. This is not, we, we are not doing something outside there. Um, you know that uh, uh, spiritual growth and Brady's work and Pastor Kolb's work are very important part of our work at Lutheran Child and Family Services. So I wish you and uh, all the families uh, safe and a wonderful Thanksgiving, but especially a wonderful Advent time. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Boy, this yeah. thing is loud with my microphone underneath right, right, it. Right. Thank you for being here with us. Yeah, thank um, you. Wonderful work you're doing. Continue and be blessed. Yeah. Thank uh, you. Good. Thank you. All right. And I think we uh, do have a giving tree this year. It's, uh, yeah, we'll have I it know. set up probably in the narthex, being as right. our Sunday school classes right. have been limited. And that'll probably go up this week when uh, later when we decorate things after Thanksgiving. Yeah. You know, Advent can't start really till thanks after Thanksgiving. Right, after I, Thanksgiving. Upsets my daughters terribly. <laughs> but, <laughs> but very good. Very good. Thank you well, so much. Let I us simply, it. yeah, let us simply close this. Uh, 
with prayer, with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread as we, sin, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. The Lord be with you all. Thank you. Thank you. Amen.